Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to a special edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. We are joined here today by Vanderbilt coach Tim Corbin. We're in Phoenix, Arizona, where you're getting ready to, to start the season tomorrow, opening day in the MLB4 tournament. Yeah, looking forward to it. We were here last year, and we weren't going to be here this year. Uh, we already had a, a series scheduled, but Brooks Webb took it upon himself based on another invitation to, to get us here once again, so we're really looking forward to it. Now, you're a pretty even-keeled guy, uh, but what's your excitement level to get the season started after months of preseason practice? Happy for the kids. I think you know, it's, a, it's a while. You get in August and train all fall and the early winter, too, and, and work through that, the weather. I, I think to see the light at the end of the tunnel is exciting for them, so I'm just happy that they can get started in, in playing against another opponent. Now, what does opening day mean to you as a coach? You know, celebrating something you're very lucky to do. I, I think that's the thing that you take the most pride in is you're actually teaching and coaching baseball and someone's paying you for it. And to be able to do that for a long period of time, 18 years at Vanderbilt, um, I, I think I, you just go back and opening day has a way of just reminding you that you're very lucky to do what you do and with the people that you do it with at an institution that you really care about. So just fortune. You mentioned back here for a second year. Last year was the first year of this tournament. Now this year, the field, you guys, Mm -hmm. Michigan, Cal Poly, UConn, you're going to open tomorrow against Michigan. You played Michigan in the finals. You played Michigan in the fall. (laughs) Are you sick of seeing Mays and Blue yet? No, <laughs> uh, they're, uh, it's a good program. So, you know, Eric and his, his guys and team, anytime you can play very good competition, it, it, it sharpens you. And we get the opportunity to play. We hadn't played each other since we started coaching apart. Um, and now in one year, it, when it rains, it pours. Now we're playing each other a lot. But good for the kids it's uh in two good academic schools that are very prideful about what they what they do athletically two other really solid programs in poly and uconn two very well respected coaches jim mm-hmm. penders and and larry lee what does it mean to to compete against them and and uh, what kind of relationships do you have with those guys great i've known jimmy for a long period of time and if there's a northeast coach that does a better job than him and there's some very good northeast coaches i don't want to leave anyone out a former vanderbilt player that's northeast coach now and ryan klosterman at, at bryant but jim has always been that coach and that program that has found a kid and developed them to the point where they develop the program uh, uconn is in and with resources that not everyone has 
got into regionals, got into super regionals, uh, almost got to Omaha the year they had to go to South Carolina. And, you know, the George Springers of the world, the Barnes of the world, the Alts, they, they've had some tremendous players inside that program. But Jimmy's a good coach and he's a good teacher. He's from a family full of coaches, too. His Uncle Tom was a basketball coach at, at the University of Texas a time ago. And Larry Lee's a good friend as well. You get to spend time with him when we go out to the area code games. I'm very fond of Larry. He's got a great personality. And his son's a heck of a player, too. We were trying to get him to commit his ninth grade year when Larry brought him on campus. And... About two weeks later, Larry gives me a call. He said, hey, Corbs, Brooks is coming to Cal Poly. <laughs> I said, thanks for the visit, Larry. But uh, good guy. The, um, the tournament is <clears throat> held in, at Talking Stick Fields yep. uh, here in, in, um, in Scottsdale, and it's a, it's a beautiful ballpark. What, uh, what's that setting like for, for everyone to, to be able to play in what's almost a major league venue, basically? Well, the, the, the surface is beautiful. I mean, it, and all of them. The Diamondbacks and Rockies do an incredible job, and they just roll out the red carpet for us. But it, it's good for, for the kids to, to understand what a spring training complex looks like. Uh, but one that is very well kept, and the, the stadium field could be a big league field. I mean, the surface is, is great. It's manicured. Um, it's, a, it's a big ballpark. It's probably the size of Ameritrade in terms of size, four tennis center field. Gaps are big. So I think it's a very fair ballpark, legitimate site um, with, with quality teams. Ahead of this game against Michigan, did you go back and watch the finals in preparation? You know, I didn't. Um, once that final game's over, and even in 14 and 15, I haven't gone back and watched the final games just because it, it's something that stayed in my mind, and I'd leave it at that. Now, going back and watching it, that's uh, I've done that, but I, I haven't repeated the game again. I, I just felt like being part of it was all I really needed to see, so I haven't watched it again. And the more you watch games that are really tight, the more nervous you get. So <laughs> I know we won. I just don't want someone to wake me up and say, you ended up losing that game. So um, just being able to watch the at-bats of the kids is, is probably good enough for me. That's interesting. So you've never watched any of the season enders no. throughout your career? No, I've seen you know the, the Virginia highlights, both 14-15, but I've, I've never gone back and watched the game. I, I just felt like that was what I wanted to see, and I didn't necessarily want to listen to it. I, I, just, I just felt like that was, that was good enough for me. All right. Well, when you... Um when we look a bit at Vanderbilt, everyone's very excited about what Austin Martin can do. Mm -hmm. um, people are excited scouting community-wise, looking at him <clears> as potential. Mm -hmm. Very high draft. We're excited just to see him on a, on a college stage. He was a first-team All-American last season. What mm -hmm. are you looking for from opening weekend for him? This is a guy that, that missed the fall due, mm -hmm. to, due to injury. Just to settle in and play. He, he, he came in the office the other day. Um, he, he comes in occasionally, but not like he did the other day. He just came in the other day and sat down and, and started talking and you could tell there was uh, an excitement and really he didn't want anything he just wanted to tell me he goes coach I'm really looking forward to this so you you can tell that he has some pent-up energy waiting to, to play again as you mentioned he didn't play during the course of the fall he had to get his knee taken care of so uh, that kept him out so there's probably more anxiousness just to to get started and play but Austin's a competitor. He, he, that's the one thing that he does a lot of nice things all rolled up into one, but he, he's, a, he's a high leverage competitor. He loves to compete against the ball. 
If the ball's hit, he's going to catch it. If the ball's thrown at him, he's going to catch it. If the ball's thrown at him when he's hit, he's going to hit it. He, I mean, he makes, he makes the game very simple. And he has a unique way, too, of teaching to the younger kids. I, I just feel like he does such a nice job of communicating and teaching the kids on the team. And I admire that about him. I, I, I know that potentially he wants to, besides play baseball, do some other things. But I, I've always felt like he could be a great teacher and coach if that's something he chose to do one day. But we're very lucky to, to have him. The rotation, also something people are very excited about with so much talent coming back. You announced today that you'll go with Hickman, Rocker, Eater this weekend in order. Um, what led you to that decision, and, and how are you feeling about those guys? Yeah, it's just trying to do what's best for the team. It's just trying to put guys in position that can can help us win. Um, it could change from week to week, but it, it, at this point, we, we really wanted Mason to, to start the first game and, and Kumar the second game. and and Jake, the third game, we kind of drawn it out during the course of the early winter and kind of left it open-ended. We really didn't talk about it too much to the kids. We just explained to them that whatever they were going to do for us, we were going to put them in a position to succeed, to help the team. And if it was to start, to come in relief, if it was to finish, so be it. Uh, but I, I think our kids are, are very adept at handling roles, understanding roles, and knowing what they have to do for the good of the team. So rotation didn't have a whole lot of, I can't say, a lot of meaning to us. We, we just felt like we just get the best guys out there and do the best we possibly can. Jack Leiter is a very exciting freshman, someone that has a lot of people excited for what he can do over the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of role do you see him pitching in this weekend? Well, it, he's not starting, so he'll he'll be in a relief role, um, and then from there we'll just have to have to see. Uh, if there are four games this week, he potentially could have could have been a starter, uh, as well as a couple other guys, because we've had some young kids uh, pitch well during the course of the winter, at least against our Vanderbilt hitters, and so I, d I don't know if our Vanderbilt hitters can hit, or you know that's the one thing about playing one another, you don't know who can do what, but. Speaking specifically to Jack, Jack is a talented kid. He, he's talented mentally. He's just a, he's a fun kid to be around. He's, uh, I've said this about other kids, but it's true. It's, he's low maintenance. He just comes to the ballpark. You tell him something once, it sticks with him. He does it, and he's not needy. He doesn't ask for much. He just does his thing, and he's great academically too. So I enjoy hanging around him. He's got a neat smile. He's got a neat personality. I like joking with him. Um, I mean, he may not like me, but I like him. He's a he's a he's a neat kid, so he's going to be a a good player for us. You mentioned the Vandy hitters. It is a new look lineup. Mm -hmm. There are some guys that that are familiar, but overall, it's a it's a new look. What what are you looking for from from those guys this week? Steadiness, consistency, just challenging at bats, just trying to get to the plate and and try to come up with some offense for us in some way and comfort too. I, I think, you know, we can't forget that this game is very difficult and you, you throw this environment in front of them too and kids who have never played or started at Vanderbilt, now you, you thrust them in this situation. I think the, the, the thing that, that we'll see is they'll take on a certain personality at some time. What that personality is, is going to be, I don't know, but at least the kids who are coming back from last year 
I'm excited for that. We talked about the beginning of the season, Ted, but I'm just excited that they get opportunity because they had to be very patient last year and they had to watch. But I thought that was so beneficial for them. You know, it's almost like if, if you could take a sabbatical for a player and just say, you know what, you're just going to be able to watch and take in everything that you see, and from that you're going to be able to write a mental report for yourself on how to prepare, how to develop a routine, how to play inside of a game, how to play a, a certain defensive segment, how to approach something at the plate. I just thought for guys like Tate Colwick, Isaiah Thomas, and, and many others, they, they just got a, a very good picture of, of how it's done, when it's done well, and done consistently. One thing that was in the news this week uh, was Binghamton announcing uh, a new stadium that mm -hmm. they're going to, they got a, the largest donation in school history, $60 million. As a Northeast guy yourself, them getting that, UConn has a new stadium, mm -hmm. BC has a new stadium. What does that say about the, the state of the game in that part of the country? Well, for, for schools in the Midwest and the Northeast and areas where the climate and the conditions aren't always favorable, um, it, it says a great deal. It says that we're going to invest in, in our program. Now, I, I realize that private people have to step up and do that, but at the same time, um, Binghamton could say, no, we want that to go to our engineering school. But when people start looking at collegiate baseball as ways to invest and, and build, then you're, you're seeing what the effect of TV has done. And since I first started coaching, you would hunt for any game that was on Dish Network or DirecTV, and you'd have a hard time finding a game in February or March. You look at the, the ESPN app, and you can see many, many games. So I just think the visibility of it from a TV standpoint on your capsule or your, your uh, computer, what have you, uh, it's just it's out there. So I, I think what that's done is – what it's done is drawn more interest for people that uh, see that baseball can, can be a, a very good sport inside their university and attract some pretty good kids, too. Your former player, David Price, was also recently in the news going to the Dodgers. Um, mm -hmm. Are you going to get to see him out here now that, that he's in Arizona as opposed to Florida for spring training? Yeah, we might. Uh, I think Bueller's coming by tonight. Uh, and I don't know where David is in his life because that was a quick move. He and Mookie had to transition quick, so I, I don't know what their situation is. But I hope I, I, we get to see him. Um, David's a kid that you just pick up right where you leave off, so I, you could see him at any given time. I really want to – going out to the area code games this summer, I'd, I'd really like to, to see him at some point. But I'm happy for him, and we'll see a bunch of kids. Last year, uh, Vanderbilt um, – had a, a box and we had I don't know about 15 20 kids up in the box with my wife and I think we're gonna have more this year so there's a lot of uh, players Vanderbilt players in spring training in Arizona and um, I think they're coming on on Friday night and potentially Saturday night too so it's always good to see them it's nice that they even want to come over but I'm happy just as I am for the kids starting the season I'm happy they have each other and they can use us as a way to get together mm -hmm. and uh, enjoy one another. You've been around the game playing, coaching a long time. Do you have a favorite opening day? Do, are there any memorable to you? 
Uh, you know, I, I liked this one last year. I thought that was against Virginia. That was very memorable to me. Now, I know it was recent, but I think in all the years that we've had, oftentimes we've stayed at home and played. I, I can't say that's memorable, uh, but I would say the trips that we've had where we've started on the road have been the most memorable. Um, so, I, yeah, I'd say last year. And then early season, I always look at the Dodger Classic as being fun. That game on Friday night against UCLA, you had yeah. Garrett Cole and Sonny Gray one year. A couple years ago we played, and I just enjoy that environment, especially at UCLA, because for whatever reason we go there, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good crowd, it's packed, and it's fun, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of John. So it, I You're going to get a good pitch game that night. Yeah, you think, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, UCLA you are, and hopefully we can match them. But uh, you're right about that. That's been a lot of fun to go to that tournament as well. You mentioned you weren't initially supposed to be here this year. Do right. you now think this is going to be a regular part of the schedule? We like it. I mean, we really like it. I mean, we like the hotel, um, the food. They treat the kids very well. The facilities are nice. Yeah, like we'd like to like to get here as much as we possibly can, and uh, Bill Vivesi's been very good with Vanderbilt and trying to get us here, and we started it last year. Yeah, I, I try to come back as many times as we could. So I, I know we're not coming back next year, but I don't know. Maybe we'll work it out when we come back here again. We'll see, Teddy. Have to rearrange some scheduling now. <laughs> well, it's a lot of fun to have you here. I really appreciate you joining us today on yeah. the Baseball America College podcast. We're really looking forward to seeing what the Vandy boys look like uh, this year, I spent so much time. You know, yeah. I came out and saw you guys in the fall, and yeah. and we put Bandy Boys on the cover. I, I've just spent so much time yeah. with this team. I just want to see what it looks like now. Well, <laughs> I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> Thanks for the bullseye, Ted. Uh, no, it's it's good. I, I appreciate you you taking an interest in our program and, and certainly doing that for for the kids and the stories that, you, that you've written about the players too. We we appreciate that greatly. And thanks for this. Thank you again to Vanderbilt coach Tim Corbin for joining us today on the Baseball America College podcast. You could see that interview live on my Instagram channel. It was supposed to go on the Baseball America YouTube channel. We're going to pull back the curtain here and tell you that there were some technical difficulties when we got to Arizona on a number of levels. Uh, so thank you to Tim Corbin for being patient with us. Uh, he only caught the tag end of them, uh, but he, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being patient while we played with our microphones, while we played with the various aspects of this. We got it done, and uh, we are hopeful that we can continue doing things like that throughout the season, hopefully with a little less technical difficulties. But Joe and I are going to, to try and continue doing that, whether it looks like it did today and we just go on Instagram Live whether we do get the the YouTube streaming figured out, we're gonna we're gonna get something figured out because I I think we we enjoyed setting that up. I think that the people that that did tune in uh, probably enjoyed listening to Tim Corbin. At least one of the the commenters seemed to indicate that. Uh, so I don't know. We're we're experimenting with some stuff this year, and hopefully by the time Omaha comes around, we'll like be playing our best baseball right now or playing our best live streaming i guess i don't know whatever we'll get there uh thank you to tim corbin for being a bit of a guinea pig at a level that i didn't really fully anticipate i should have but uh we're very appreciative of that joe is with me now joe healy uh coming in here 
Uh, I, you're not a relief pitcher for uh, for Tim Corbin, but you can think of yourself that way if you want to. Yeah, I mean, I was, um, you know, I, I don't know that I have the kind of the stamina and endurance to be a starter anyway, so reliever is <laughs> probably the best role for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, what you said, just quickly to jump off that, I mean, the idea is that we're trying to play around a little bit. Uh, we've You and I have had a lot of discussions in the, in, in the lead-up to the season about what things we want to do, and we've got some pretty big ideas. Not all of them we'll be able to execute. Most of them maybe we won't be able to execute. But the idea is for you, the listener, is that we really are kind of trying to do what we've done before and kind of try to take it to the next level. Um, so there are going to be some fits and starts and, you know, you probably won't be able to have been able to tell, but you know, we just shared that with you, but this is one of those things. We're, we're kind of trying some stuff. It didn't go a hundred percent like we would have wanted to, but like the end product was good and we're, we're hoping to continue doing it. So um, hopefully by the, like, like Teddy said, by the end of the season, hopefully we will kind of be cooking with gas here. Um, but we really, I mean, this opening weekend is so big out in this part of the country. There's so much going on here. I mean, Teddy and I cannot possibly cover half of what's going on out here this weekend we're going to do our very best um so you'll you'll be following along with us on that but but we really wanted to kind of make it a little bit of an event that we're here and create a little bit of um you know content just around the fact that this is such a big opening weekend yeah it's uh it's really special what's happened in arizona i i've likened it to a lesser version of the champions classic the college basketball has where they bring in uh Kentucky and Duke and Michigan State and Kansas every year to some big arena around the country and they rotate it around between New York and Indy and wherever else Chicago, they go. Chicago. Yeah. Um, or like the Atlanta, whatever they're calling the Atlanta kickoff game these days in college football. I'm I think sure it has Chick-fil-A involved. Uh, I'm sure Chick-fil-A sponsors I, it. That's... Probably. The thing that Alabama plays in every year. Uh, so like those in those sports, like those events are kind of like the, the jumping off point for for everything and here baseball doesn't have something like that they never have uh you know if you go back far enough by february 14 some teams around the country would have played zero games and some teams had played like 12 looking at you miami uh, or wichita randomly uh, but in the last just in the last two years with the creation of the mlb4 tournament which again vanderbilt is playing in uconn cal poly michigan also here for that event um which frankly was kind of backed into the initial version last year was supposed to be held in puerto rico and then hurricane maria came through and took out um some of the island's infrastructure and they had to move the tournament and mlb stepped in and put it here and now they have a tournament out of it uh that got created last year the angels created a tournament that started last year as well at their spring training complex just down the road here the oregon state has been hosting um a tournament of its own in the phoenix area at at the royals complex uh for i don't know a decade and so now we have these three tournaments and when you combine all the teams that are here it has become totally organically no one tried to do this there, there's no grand plan but this has become kind of the epicenter of the college baseball world on opening weekend and for the foreseeable future as long as mlb is committed to making mlb for a good strong event and it seems like they are this year they're beefing up coverage the they'll have uh that opener on friday night on mlb network the rest of the games this year will be streamed live on mlb.com which is an improvement from last year uh, as long as that that keeps happening, the Angels keep doing their thing. You know, 
and and Oregon State continues to play over in surprise, this seems like the place to be for opening weekend. Yeah, and it's there there are a lot of benefits to it. I mean, one is that you've got a quality tournament. Coaches are always looking for that quality tournament to start the season. For the stand, from the standpoint of just seeing what you got and also from an RPI perspective, it is never too early to start thinking about that. The coaches that are annually in the postseason are always thinking about that kind of thing. But I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day that it really does kind of lend itself to getting a lot of bang for your buck as a college baseball program. So a lot of this stuff bleeds into like Monday and Tuesday. And there are a lot of good games Monday and Tuesday, for example, in this area, not to the same level, but there are a lot of little one-offs here and there, or even this weekend where Michigan is leaving the MLB four tournament Saturday night to go play a one-off with Arizona state. Um, Arizona state, meanwhile, is playing a three game series with Villanova kind of concurrently. So, um, but because there are so many teams here, it has created a situation where coaches can just kind of find games around here with, with other teams that happen to be here. And if you're someone, Minnesota is a great example. Minnesota's down here and you know, that's a team that now they have the football stadium, which helps them in a different way. But but also when they can get games in good weather, um, they're going to take that opportunity. And so, you know, they're a team that benefits from stuff like this. So it, it, I think there's just it, from all angles, it's a win win here. Quality games, coaches being able to get a lot of bang for your buck. And, you know, let's be honest, you know, college baseball travel budgets are not as robust as they are in other sports, notably football and basketball. And so anytime you can come down here and you know, get a few extra games in that you might not have otherwise with just a, a, a standard series, um, coaches are going to take that opportunity. Yeah, and I think the other thing that, that is great about this area is that, you know, right now there's a lot of baseball going on, spring training open this week. So there are a lot of people from the industry here, which is a nice benefit. And then also it's a nice, just a nice destination for a lot of people. You know, people want to come to Phoenix, and, you know, so that the, the area lends itself to some fans coming down. Oregon State, which, again, has been coming down here for years now, has a robust fan support uh, throughout this weekend over in Surprise. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it was like at the start. I imagine that's built over time because, uh, you know, fans can fans understand every year Oregon State will be here. We can take a vacation, a President's Day, long weekend, come see the Beavers, enjoy them playing, uh, you know, four games, but also, you know, enjoy a nice weekend in the Phoenix area where obviously there, there's plenty to do. So I, I think all of that is coming together to, to make this a, a strong weekend that hopefully is able to, to continue. Now we, I, Tim Corbin said a lot of very interesting things in that interview. Joe, I was most interested um, by the idea that he does not watch the last game of a season ever. Um, that, you know, I, I'm not necessarily surprised, I guess, once you like lay that out for me, uh, you know, he's, he's not a coach that, or, or a person in general that is really looking back a whole lot. He's very much looking forward at all times, looking to get better, but, you know, the, and, and I'm not surprised he wants to retain the original memory that, that also seems very on brand, but, you know, that is the, the temptation once you win the national title to break that. And, and go back and, and watch it must be pretty significant. I'd imagine so. And, and to be clear, you know, he said he watched his individual at-bats yes. here and there. So I imagine from a strategy standpoint, like to, to glean something from it, it would be a little bit hard to do because let's also face it. I mean, when you're at that stage of the season 
in Omaha, like it's it's really going to be very different. As much as as like you and I, for example, are kind of pumping up the idea that Michigan and Vandy are going to play tomorrow night, it's going to be worlds apart from what we saw in June. I mean, the quality will be will be great again, but it'll just be a different deal. So I imagine as a coach, in his mind too, it's it's hard to really glean too much from something that happened with two very different teams back in June in a setting that's kind of different in front of a very different crowd. So th- that's probably what he would say there. But, you know, he does go back and um, look at little individual pieces of it, I guess. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I guess it's kind of like, I don't know about you, but I don't spend a lot of time listening back to our podcasts. or And that's for a different reason. I think no one likes their own voice. I'll listen to them, like, when we have interviews, like, I'll listen back to them a little bit, you know, to kind of maybe retain more of it. Because when you're in the moment interviewing someone, sometimes you're not really, like, absorbing that in the same way so but I'm just saying generally speaking like I guess I can see it from that standpoint but I think it's probably more just his thinking that like there's just not a ton we can probably glean from that right yeah now that that's probably part of it I do think uh an interesting aspect of this tournament is that Mason Hickman started the clinching game in Omaha last year against Michigan he's gonna start opening day so I like the symmetry of that I'm sure that's not the re- I, I shouldn't say that. That's probably not the reason why he was chosen to be Vanderbilt's opening day starter, but I appreciate that because I like the symmetry of it. But what did you think when you saw Vanderbilt's rotation and that it was Hickman, Rocker, Eater, as opposed to what I think a lot of people thought it was going to be in Rocker, Hickman, Eater? I was so a little bit disappointed um, just because I want to see Kumar Rocker. You know, I will be there uh, tomorrow night, Friday night at that big game um, with, with no necessary, necessarily a guarantee of when I will see Vanderbilt again this weekend. So, uh, you know, I think we'll all get our chances to see Kumar Rocker. But, yeah, I don't know, opening day, Kumar Rocker on the hill, like that's a thing for sure. So I was a little bit disappointed, but then when I take a step back, it makes some sense to me. Um, you know, Kumar Rocker had a great end of the season, but, you know, Mason Hickman's been through these battles, and he's a little more – he's been around a, a little bit longer, and he's – frankly, was for most of the season just the more steady pitcher, the better pitcher. I mean, Rocker ended up throwing better at the end of the year. I don't think there's a ton of doubt there. Yeah, I mean, Hickman spent most of last season pitching on Tuesdays, though. And now Vanderbilt plays a tough Tuesday schedule, but, like, he spent most of last season not in the rotation. They moved him around. He pitched some in the rotation. But for the most part, they were riding Fellows, Raby, and Rocker, and at times Raby was hurt, and Hickman was in there, but... There was a lot of Tuesday starts for Mason. Fair enough. You know, I, I guess I saw it a little bit as just deference to the guy with the more innings. Um, you know, an eater in that third spot, because he's been primarily a reliever, even the fewer innings than yeah. Rocker. So, I, you know, and, and, and you know, if you listen to the, the first part of this podcast, you, you kind of heard it from Corbin himself that it doesn't seem like there was a ton of – now, he did not draw names out of a hat <laughs> – <laughs> um, presumably. Um, but I, I take him at his word when he says that, like, I don't know, we got three good guys. I think that that's what he's saying without saying it. Yeah. So we've got three really good guys we feel good about, and by the way, he should. Um, that is the correct way to feel about those three guys, and we're just going to kind of roll the balls out there and, and let it go. Yeah, and he, you, you heard him say that, you know, just because it's that way this weekend doesn't mean that it'll be this way any other weekend throughout the year. And that is one thing that, that I've found to hold very true with, with Vanderbilt throughout Tim Corbin's tenure is that what you see on opening day has almost no, you know, what, what you see on opening day versus what you see in May, they may be very divergent. And 
He's not afraid to move things around. He's not afraid to experiment until he finds something he likes. And, you know, I mean, we saw that with the rotation last year. Rocker started on Sundays, mostly stayed there or stayed there for a few weeks and then wasn't doing so great. So they pulled him out of that role for a couple weeks then they pushed him back into it and then they pushed him up to Saturday. And, you know, so things things are fluid with the Commodores. I think the players understand that and, and, and roll with it. And, um, you know, so again, what you see this weekend, not necessarily what you're going to see down the line in any of the, you know, rotation, lineup, whatever. I think the only consistent thing uh, provided that, that he, he continues to pitch at the level he's pitched for two years is Tyler Brown will be the closer. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's one of the things that, that I've always noticed, uh, taken note of with Vanderbilt is that you say, you know, that it'll be very different this weekend versus what it is in, in May and then in June. And then it could be very different from any given Friday to Saturday. Like, you know, the lineup could have four or five different guys in it on any given day. And, and it's not just a platoon thing. No. Though, it, like, though sometimes it is, but it, it isn't necessarily dependent on righties or lefties. Yeah, I mean, they'll just be a guy that gets a start that hasn't played in two weeks, and then he won't play again for, you know, for ten days. Um, and so, and I, I say that not derisively. I say that, um, you know, to say that, that Corbin and his staff use their roster really well. And they, they give a lot of opportunities to a lot of guys. And in, and I think that he deserves some credit for that because there are a lot of coaches that maybe start off that way and they really shorten things up. And, and everyone does. They do too. But they seem a little more willing to roll into the postseason still trying to trying things out and playing around a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of versatility is is in vogue there, the way it is throughout baseball now that they're, they're doing similar things to what you see in the big leagues where you want to have guys who can play multiple positions and um, you know, I think Michigan does some of the same things, and obviously that that's not a not a coincidence. Eric Backich, uh, well documented, spent a lot of time working with and under Tim Corbin. So I think those two teams. I mean, it, it's been mentioned many times before that they're mirror images of each other in in many respects, and that's part of why it's so much fun that they play now. Like he mentioned that they didn't play for the longest time at the start of Eric Backich's career. In fact, they didn't play until last year in the finals. And so I don't know if it's going to be a regular thing going forward. I don't know if it's just a quirky thing that they, um, you know, that they're starting the, the year this year against each other or, or if this is going to be something that, that they continue. Um, I would love to see it continue. Those are, those are two great programs, and, and they, they have a lot of common. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of structural DNA there. You know, Michigan, we last saw on the big stage in Omaha – the two big horses, Carl Kaufman, Tommy Henry, really carried them through a, in a lot of respects to, to the finals with, with Criswell mopping up. Those were the three guys on the mound. Now Criswell is the guy. Henry and Kaufman are gone as, as uh, second-round picks. And, and um, it's going to be interesting to see where Michigan goes from here. They have talent on the mound. Criswell is back, and I had a dream that he struck out like 278 batters. So – he does that. That's that's player of the year type stuff. That would be a lot. Yeah, um, they they'll do very well if if that comes to pass. Uh, but Stephen Hadger, uh, you know, when when we had Eric Backich on the podcast earlier in the year, he was very excited to see what Hadger had. Ben Dragani, who isn't at full strength right now, he's also coming off of injury like Hadger. They both missed last year. They're going to be uh, important pieces going forward. Willie Weiss at the back of the bullpen. Isaiah Page can pitch in a lot of different ways. So the pitching is there. So you look at the offense, and a lot of guys are back. Donovan, Blomgren, up the middle. Franklin is hurt. 
what are you interested in seeing with this Michigan team? The new look pitching staff or the little bit of changes that we've had in the offense, just seeing how that grows and evolves from where it was at the end of last season? Probably the pitching side. First from the standpoint of they were so – I mean, Henry and Kaufman from moment one last year were like, oh, okay, this is how it's going to be. These two guys are going to go out and just be horses the first two days of the weekend or the two days in which they pitch, however that fell. Um, you know, and, and Michigan is going to be in good shape every single weekend, and that turned out to be to be the case. Um, so not having that, I'm interested to see how they fill that in. The second piece of that is, to your point, though, it's not that they're without talent out there. So it's, it's a little bit of a two-pronged. It's not just like, oh, my goodness, what are they going to do? It's let's see what they're going to do because they've got these guys that we all think highly of that just really either because of injuries in some cases or because they just spent last year behind – Criswell and, and Kaufman and, and Henry, we just haven't had a chance to see much of. So I'm really interested to see that piece. I mean, the, the offense part, especially with Jesse Franklin out, I mean, he's a big part of that offense. And so how are they going to patch things together? And maybe maybe that's how it'll be defined is really patching things together. Uh, so we'll see. So there, there is interest there as well. But, but I am really curious to see these guys who are super talented on the mound go out into starring roles now. I feel a little bad for UConn and Cal Poly just because because of the way last season ended they they were destined to be uh the undercard in this in this tournament and they are literally that on opening day when they they face off uh but they don't deserve that you know we talked with Larry Lee on the podcast in the fall you guys can can go find that episode and um while Larry I felt like downplayed the team a little bit I really like what they have. That's a team that has finished in second place in the Big West. I believe it's three years in a row. Hasn't been able to turn it into uh, a regionals appearance because they play these unbelievably difficult non-conference schedules. And that was a subject of discussion on the podcast. Larry, Larry was very open about that and, and why they do that and, and, and how some of those come to be. And they're doing it again this year, but this year they do have a little more of it at home, this weekend accepted. Uh, but they, they're getting a lot of teams to come into San Luis Obispo, which is not always the easiest thing for them to do. But this weekend, important weekend, unfortunately, Brooks Lee, who you heard Tim Corbin talk about, Larry Lee's uh, fantastically talented son, who is the second highest ranked position player to make it to, to college that, from the class of 2019. He is out with an injury. Uh, but that doesn't mean Cal Poly – doesn't have weapons. Bradley Beasley, their senior center fielder, is a, a really good piece. They bring back a ton in the lineup. The pitching staff is a little new. But, you know, Joe, when, when we look at Cal Poly, that, that's just such a, a consistent team. And, and maybe this is a year where they can break through. Yeah, I mean, the, the Big West is – I think we've talked about this before. probably was on that episode with Larry Lee. The Big West is fairly open. Uh, you know, I wrote UC Santa Barbara as a kind of an under-the-radar team to watch um, just simply because of the Big West being as open as it is and them bringing back as much talent as they do. So, that said, I think Cal Poly is a team that could walk into that door. I mean, uh, I know you don't necessarily like when uh, me or someone else will say this, um, but Bradley Beasley is a guy who feels like he's been on <laughs> campus for a long time. Teddy does not like when people say, like, oh, it feels like he's been there 10 years. I just feel like the people that say that are paying attention. That, well, that very well could be. Um, but it, Bradley Beasley does feel to me like a yes, guy I just who's been called there. out like all of our listeners. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, Taylor Dollard uh, is a guy I'm interested to see. I can't believe uh, I didn't mention Taylor Dollard. I love that guy. He was so good on the Cape. Sorry. 
but yeah, I mean, for, so for that reason, I, I'm you know I'm excited to see that as well. But it, it it does feel, to your point, like a year when you know Cal Poly can kind of do its Cal Poly thing, uh, and this could be the year that it's that leads to a regional appearance as opposed to what it typically is, which is good Big West Big West record. Not quite good enough to win the league. Yeah, like about 500 overall and an right. RPI in like the 60s. Right. It feels like this is maybe like a cut above that. So things have to go right. Brooks Lee coming back healthy and, and being able to contribute from the jump is probably a big part of that. Um, so we'll have to see. But but I, you know, Cal Poly's, same for you. I mean, Cal Poly's not a program we have a lot of direct visibility to, um, being all the way on the East Coast. So. Um, it's not necessarily a team that, that we see year after year, so I think there's some excitement just to kind of uh, be able to see a little bit of an unfamiliar program. I know for me that's the case, so certainly that. And, and UConn to a certain degree as well. You know, They, they kind of quietly go about their business up in the Northeast, and um, you can kind of set your watch at this point. You know, th- There was a time when UConn was a program that would have a big year, they'd sink into the background a little bit, they'd take a couple of years, and they'd pop back up. Um, they seem to have kind of cut out that fall back to the pack. That's not to say that can't happen because they are working at some disadvantages, uh, namely the weather. The facility's not really a roadblock anymore as it was for a long time. They seem to be doing a good job recruiting. They find those Northeastern kids um, that are able to contribute right away and throughout their careers. So it, it feels like they found another gear as a program where there's not quite so much volatility year to year. And their, their baseline is that of a quality regional program uh, you know, versus one that has down years where they're they're not really in the mix. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's definitely spot on. This is a program that we expect to make it back to regionals this year. And, you know, they haven't really had that kind of consistency too much throughout their history that if you, you, you remember them as, a, as being just this quality program. But if you actually look at how often they go to regionals, you know, there often are a little, there's some gaps in there. And, and it seems like they're eliminating those. And, you know, that that's, that's huge for them as a program and they're going to test themselves on a a big stage right out of the gate. That's nothing new for them. They do that year in and year out a year ago. They, they opened up against, maybe it's two years ago. They opened up against Louisville. I think it was last year though. And you know, they, they, that wasn't the first time they do that. You know, they go out and schedule very aggressively as well. And, you know, they play a ton of games on the road and more often than not, they build a really nice RPI out of it. And, and then they're in a good position because they're able to compete in the American. And, and the AAC is just right now in a better place RPI-wise than the Big West. But I think there are some similarities between UConn and Cal Poly. They're not the mirror images that, that Michigan and Vanderbilt are, obviously. But there, there are some similarities there. And I, I just think that there's a lot of really solid talent here. It is unfortunate that UConn doesn't have, like, a top two rounds ace right now that they've had several times in the past. Um, that That is one thing that this team is maybe lacking just to add a little more spice to this weekend. But there are really good prospects on that team, really solid players. And that's a team that's going to be in the mix in the American. We talked about the Big West being open. The American seems pretty open. East Carolina is looming large, but they're not going to be what they were last year in all likelihood. They're not going to run away with the league this year. So UConn's a team that, that could easily get in the mix at, at the top of the American with, with Houston and, and with ECU. Yeah, if you're going to bet on a team like in a year when the American is open, like UConn just seems like kind of a safe bet there. I mean, we, we like East Carolina, but you know, having them ranked and having them picked to win the American – 
is is as much just about like man they were so good last year and they've just typically under under Cliff Godwin been good and so there's kind of that baseline there but but if you want to talk about steady programs in that conference like UConn is is right there and uh, you know, maybe we're giving them short shrift by not, you know, uh, you know, picking them necessarily to win the league. I don't know. Like, uh, we'll have to see. I mean, but it, it certainly is looking like a wide open year in the American, and I'm certainly looking forward to seeing it play out. Yeah, so that's kind of the MLB4 tournament in a nutshell. If you're looking to follow it uh, from from home, MLB Network has the game tomorrow night. Jim Callis is on the call. I believe Dan O'Dowd is on the call. I do not remember who the play-by-play guy is. My apologies. Um, but that should be a good time with Michigan and Vanderbilt going at it. The rest of the time, you can see it on MLB.com. The rest of the game's all there this year, which is uh, fantastic after uh, you know an, an improvement on, on last year, the, the first year of the tournament. So that's the place to go for that. Before we get out of here, Joe, I did want to um, just quickly get – Initial thoughts on Oregon State going into this year. This is a team that we don't know a whole lot about. A lot of change there, and they could go in a number of different directions, which makes, to me, that the most, the second most interesting thing that's going on out here this weekend. MLB 4, Vanderbilt, Michigan, love it. <clears throat> but to me, the, un- the newness at Oregon State and just the uncertainty in the direction they go with the pitching staff, what the lineup looks like, that's the second thing that I'm looking to out here this weekend. Yeah, 100%. I mean, where do you even begin with Oregon State? <laughs> I mean, they, you know, and Mitch Canham is the new head coach. Obviously, he's a, a, a big name in Oregon State baseball history, so there's there's intrigue there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, on, on the player side, I mean, look no further than when you go back and look at their stat sheet from last year and you see just the sheer volume of players they used trying to find the right combinations last year, particularly on offense, um, kind of gets you to a place where coming into this year, it's a similar story. Um, you know, there, there's not, there certainly is no Adley Rutschman there. I mean, that's clear, but finding who, okay. It, it, beyond that though, I mean, who does lead this offense? I mean, they've got, some guys back. I mean, they've got some guys they feel, I mean, at catcher, actually, Troy Clonch, they feel really good about him. And he's a guy that we've heard about for a while. But, you know, when you're sitting behind Adley Rutschman, life is difficult. Yeah, I mean, they've worked him in, but it's it hasn't been as catching. Or it hasn't been as the regular catcher. It hasn't been in the big role. And they're now going to be looking at him and Alex McGarry, uh, who last year spent a lot of time as DH. Uh, you know, what, what's that going to be? And, and can't forget, not only are they replacing Rutschman up the middle, they're also replacing shortstop Bo Phillips. So there's a lot of, you know, Bo Phillip got drafted in the top five rounds. Adley, of course, was the number one overall pick. There's a lot of talent up the middle, especially, that has to get replaced for them. Yeah, and on the mound, they've got, you know, versatility is kind of the name of the game because that, well, versatility, you know, I guess it remains to be seen what they end up doing with them. But they've got guys like Christian Chamberlain and Jake Mulholland who – uh, you know, feel like have the talent to do multiple things. We haven't necessarily seen them do it. Um, well, we kind know of... there's a length in there. That, that's really yeah. what you're alluding to. Yeah. Is that Jake Mahalan has been, and Chamberlain have both been outstanding relievers, but they aren't one inning guys. Right, right. They throw three, four innings if needed. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, they could be stretched out. Whether or not they do that, we'll, we'll have to see, um, whether it's just this weekend or, in, in, in you know, as, as time goes on. So, um, yeah, Oregon State is high. If you're to make a list of teams – uh, where, where I'm having just have the most difficulty pinpointing what they are going to be. Oregon State's up there. Whether or not they're number one, I don't know, but they are certainly in the discussion. It could go any number of ways. Yeah, so that's that's something to watch. Uh, they're out there hosting their tournament. 
Uh, they got Gonzaga. They got New Mexico. They got BYU out there. So that, that's going to be interesting over in Surprise. And then the Angels Tournament, Minnesota, Oregon, San Diego, Pepperdine. I don't have like a firm storyline there. I'm just interested in all of those teams. I'm high on Michigan, obviously. I really like Max Meyer. Want to see how Patrick Fredrickson bounces back. Want to see how that offense comes together. Want to see what Oregon looks like this year. New coach in Mark Wazikowski there. Uh, Pepperdine was solid last year, but seemed to take a step back after winning the big, uh, sorry, the West Coast Conference uh, two years ago. And then, you know, San Diego, a lot of talent. What's it going to look like? A lot of newness. How's that going to come together? We've kind of been waiting for San Diego to get its mojo back over the last few years. Uh, you know, so that's an interesting group. I don't know outside of Max Meyer that there's a headlining thing out there, but Max Meyer himself, he's pretty cool. Yo, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, for for a one game sample, like that's almost just about as good as anything else you're going to see out here, save for that Michigan Vanderbilt game Friday night. Save for that, I mean, Max Meyer on the mound first Friday of the season. Yes, I mean, sign me up. So, with that group, I mean, I am kind of interested. I mean, this is you know really hipsterish, but. Um, you know, it's an opportunity for programs like Pepperdine and San Diego to kind of to show us what they have opening weekend against some like competition. Um, you know, if they were in a tournament, you know, with Michigan and Vanderbilt and, you know, one or one of you, Connor Cal Poly, that they'd be looking in the face of a one and two at best, most likely. It's an opportunity for them to go out with a winning weekend, start the season off right. Those are two teams, you know, I, I did the West Coast Conference preview and they're both teams that I had kind of in the middle of the pack in the conference. But they were two of the teams that had more upside than others. And so I, I'm curious to see them as well. I'm, I'm you know, sure I'll get out there for at least some of that tournament. Um, I'd like to see either of those teams because, again, geographically speaking, you know, those are teams we're not going to see as much. So I'm um, excited to see that. But, but you're right. I mean, you got Max Meyer. But after that, I, you know, you're, I think we won't really have definitive storylines out of that, outside of that, until we kind of see what happened. You know, if, one, if someone goes 3-0 and and just really sets the world on fire out there, well, that's probably your storyline out there. But going into it, you're right. I mean, it's um, it's Max Meyer, and then everything else is, is kind of secondary. The uh, the two series, Arizona State uh, plays Villanova. Uh, I'm not interested in that. Uh, Villanova is improving, but that's not – they should not put up a, a terribly difficult challenge for Arizona State on opening weekend. I am highly interested in the, the Saturday night game with Arizona State and, and, uh, and Michigan. Steve Hazer uh, has been announced as the starter for Michigan in that game. So he's going to face a great test in his first college start. Going to be very interested to see how that goes. And, you know, I just want to see how Arizona State lines up its pitching staff. They only announced their first two starters. Um, you know, the, so what the rest of the weekend looks like beyond that, still a mystery, but they're going Justin Fall, the junior college transfer on Friday night. Ton of potential there. Uh, that should be interesting. Boyd Vanderkoy, consistent junior going into the second game. I think we know what to expect from Boyd. But where they go after that, do we see Trent Thornton? Do we see RJ Dabovich? Um, do, do we see Cooper Benson? I mean, we're going to see all of those guys, but how they use them is, is what I'm interested in from Arizona State. And then Grand Canyon hosting Oklahoma State. This is not the best Grand Canyon team we've seen, but it's a good team. And it's an Oklahoma State team with a lot of newness to it, but we think is going to be very good. There's a reason why we rank them, you know, in number 16 in the country. And they're rolling with their prized freshman, Bryce Osman, on Friday night, Parker Scott on Saturday night, two great pitchers. Uh, you know, can't go wrong lining them up either way. I'm going to trust Rob Walton 
uh, our uh, assistant coach of the year in 2016. So, Joe, either anything stand out to you in the the Grand Canyon or the Arizona State series? Uh, yeah, I like the, the the Grand Canyon Oklahoma State series. There's a lot of individual things going on there. Um, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned the, the newness for Oklahoma State. I'm really excited about that freshman class. There, I mean, they're leaning really hard on those freshman pitchers. Bryce Osmond, chief among them. Clearly, we and I think highly of him. He was my freshman of the year choice for a reason. Um, so certainly, we're going to get a good look, early look at him right away. As you mentioned, Grand Canyon. This is this is not the best Grand Canyon team we've had, but they're going to be a team competing at the top of the whack. There is talent there, and also it's a home series for them. Oklahoma State's coming, you know, down to their park to play. Um, so you know the travel obviously plays a little bit of a factor there. But but I am looking forward to to seeing that group this weekend. Uh, Parker Scott's interesting to me too. I mean he his numbers were very very good last year, but when you really take a step back, you know we're talking about half a season's worth of starts, and they were fantastic. It was a fantastic half of a season. Um, but I'm curious to see what he does, not just this weekend, obviously, but but moving forward um, in more of a full season role. So that, I think that's an interesting series. I, clearly, Oklahoma State's the team, you know, we predict to win that series. But I wouldn't be surprised if Grand Canyon gets a game off of them, if for no other reason than, um, you know, Oklahoma State is going to be throwing some inexperienced guys and things can snowball on you uh, when you're young and, and haven't been in that environment. And, and these hitters are better than the ones you saw in high school. Um, that is very much a thing. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Lopes competitive and get a game off of the Cowboys. Uh, we'll have to see about that. But I, I think that is kind of a fun, low-key series uh, this weekend with, with so much else going on. Yeah, so we've got a lot going on in Arizona. Joe and I are going to be all over that. You can follow along with us uh, on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. We'll have plenty of content over on the website as well. That's BaseballAmerica.com. I'm sure you know that already, though. Uh, so look for that. And then we're, we're in the season now, so we'll, we'll have regular content for you coming next week. There will be a new Top 25. We'll be back here on the podcast to break all that down uh, as well. We do have a programming note. Um, we intend to be doing two podcasts a week. This is not just an opening day special. This is the, the first of, of these podcasts. We're still trying to work out exactly – uh, what the format for that second podcast is going to be, but it's going to be something that, that looks ahead to the weekend uh, to come, and, and we'll, we'll figure it out from there. But expect two podcasts a week for the, the remainder of the season. We're looking forward to, to doing that. Hopefully you guys um, you know, will enjoy the, the extra dose of, of baseball talk. Uh, coming at you on any of your favorite podcasting devices, be that um, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you find podcasts, you can find us. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed. There's there's a lot coming at you now. So if you're subscribed, you don't have to worry about when are they posting these podcasts. You know, they'll, they'll just show up in your phone. So subscribe, and if you can, rate and review uh, in your favorite podcasting app. Yeah, if you uh, if you've enjoyed what we've done here. Uh, you know, Teddy and I last couple of years, uh, congratulations. You're going to get more of it. And if you really don't want to hear more of us, well, take that haters too bad. <laughs> yes, indeed. We will, like I said, be back here on Monday. There will be a new top 25 for us to discuss. We'll still be in Arizona uh, trying to squeeze some extra baseball out of our president's day. Uh, so hopefully you are able to enjoy a break from work and uh, maybe catch some baseball or at least listen to the podcast and, and check out BaseballAmerica.com. So 
We have plenty of stuff over there for you right now uh, to help you finish getting ready for the season. We posted the top 150 college baseball players. This is not a prospect ranking. This is who is the most valuable player in college baseball. It's Spencer Torkelson. That's a spoiler. Go see the other 149 (laughs) players on the website. Uh, And we may update it throughout the season. We're not quite sure about that yet. Minimally, there will be a postseason update, but... Uh, so that we can look back on on the two lists at least. But there might be a midseason update. Well, still to be decided. Joe broke down all the places you can stream and watch college baseball this season. So if you're trying to figure out how best to go about this, particularly if you're a cord cutter, Joe has a piece uh, that that will do that for you. I I, I had a preview of the coaching carousel in 2020 as we go into the season, where things stand, names to watch, places to watch in terms of hot seat, uh, rising stars. So you can check that out as well. And again, many more things, all of our conference previews, all of our top 25 capsules, various features, our projected field of 64, they are all there for you uh, to get ready for the season, which is now upon us. So with that, that, that I guess is your mission for the next however many hours before before we really get into it is to, to read as much of that as, as you possibly can. And then we'll have more of it for you next week uh, as, as we have results to react to for the first time in, in several months. So again, I want to thank Tim Corbin for joining us here on this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Thank you to Joe and thank you to listening. We'll talk to you next week.